Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word and how you have just uh, continued to speak to us through the book of Colossians. Lord, I pray that as we uh, bring this series and the sermon to a close, that you would remind us of all uh, that you have taught us through this book, Father, that your spirit would seal it in us, Lord, to uh, call it to remembrance at the times in need. Lord, that as we go through this, that uh, that you, your, your word would continue to be alive uh, in our hearts and to shape us, mature us, and to mold us in the ways and, uh, of our understanding of you and who you are. Lord, I pray that as uh, we talk through your word today, that your spirit would be with us no matter where we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good night, everybody, wherever you are. I'm glad that you're watching. Uh, we are in our last week in Colossians this week. This has been a 15, 16-week series uh, just going through this book, and we've gone through verse by verse, really digging into uh, what did God want to communicate through Paul in this letter to the Colossian church. Uh, and I'm excited this week to bring it to a close to kind of not only just recap what we've talked about, but really drive home what Paul wanted to get across so that we can walk away with this series remembering the big picture of what God was saying to this church that I believe is very important uh, for our church and the church uh, today. And uh, so I want to start off where, where Paul starts off. He starts off with this desire for the Colossians to know God. Um, and you see this all throughout the first and the second chapter. Where he keeps on hitting this understanding. You know, he says that he wants them to remember the gospel as it was preached to them in Colossians 1.7. As we said, Paul wasn't the actual person who planted this church. Uh, Epaphras, one of his uh, teammates, his ministry leaders, who was a native of the city of Colossae, was the one who brought the good news to them that planted this house church and the surrounding uh, cities, their house churches as well. Uh, and so Paul was speaking to them. You, he wanted them to remember what was it the message that Epaphras had brought to them, the hope of the gospel that they had put their hope in, their trust in. He, he prays in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He wants them to understand what does God have for them? Where is God taking them? What is the path that they are supposed to be walking on with God? He wants them to know God's will. This is such an often misunderstood idea today about what is God's will for my life. Everybody kind of clawing and, and cramming to understand what God's will is. But Paul, as, as we get into later in Colossians, it's about being a mature Christian. That is God's will for us to mature daily in the knowledge and the will of God in this understanding of what it means to love our neighbor, our family, uh, as we do ourselves. He he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that he wants them to increase in their knowledge of God, not only to know God's will and the knowledge of God, but he wants them to continuously increase in, in their understanding of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 and 23, he says that he wants them to remember the gospel is the only hope that is worthy of their attention. Right to, to remember what was their first love, what was the good news that was first brought to them, what was it that Epaphras boldly spoke to them that made them turn away from their world, this, this polytheistic, this sinful life 
I mean, the concept of, a, of one God, of, of somebody who had died and rose again, this obscure Jewish man that was hundreds and hundreds of miles away, years and years before them, that they believed in this guy, Jesus, who died and rose. Paul is calling them back to the attention. Remember the gospel, the hope of the gospel that you have placed your trust in, your future in. And then he, he says this in Colossians 2. Uh, This is kind of culmination, one of my favorite verses in Colossians. He, He calls them and he says he wants them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Right, the, the depth, the richness of knowing God, of the full assurance that when you know God, when you truly understand him, there's this, this confidence, this deep assurance of who God is and who I am in him and what I am called to do, what I am supposed to do. There's no guessing game. There's no, you know, what do I do next? It is a clear picture of what our mission is, what it looks like to move forward, what our daily life is supposed to look like as a Christ follower. And he Prays and he wants this full assurance of the knowledge of God, of the mystery of Jesus Christ. He wants them to truly understand the gospel and the one that they serve, this Christ, this Lord, this Jesus that they have now pledged their life to. And this culmination of them understanding uh, who God is, this desire for them to walk in the knowledge of God, in my opinion, is this insanely beautiful poem uh, that Paul writes here in verses chapter 1, verses 15 um, to 20. And I, I want to read it, even though obviously we've been over this. This is, this is actually one of the first passages I kind of memorized in Scripture because I kept on going back to it over and over and over again, and I kept praying through it because it gives you such a solid understanding of who Jesus is. And whenever you're, you're feeling low or down or whatever's going on in your life, I, I, my life, I would come back to this passage and just remember who I serve. Or when things are good and it was easy for me to forget and think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Like I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that brought myself to this pinnacle. Then I would have to humble myself by reminding myself, no, this is all Jesus. He is the one that I serve and I worship. And in verse 15, chapter one, Colossians, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is reteaching them, resharing the beauty of Jesus. What Epaphras had first come and preached them, he is now coming in and saying, remember who you serve, remember Jesus. He is reminding them about the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. He says, you were alienated, you were hostile, you were evil, but still Christ reconciled all of that. Remember who you were, the life that you were living. 
and what Jesus has done for you. Paul wants them to mature. And he reminds them of all God did because heresy was on the cusp of destroying all the work that, and the labor that had gone into that church. It was on the cusp of destroying everything. And this is what Paul, kind of the reason, the crux of why he wrote this letter, the reason why he is talking so much about them, understanding the knowledge of God, understanding the, the knowledge of his will, that having the full assurance of understanding the mystery of Christ, the reason why he is getting to all that, why he is driving that home incessantly in the beginning is because of this, because of this important fact about fighting heresy that he was about to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with in this letter. This important fact is this, that we cannot fight heresy if we do not know the truth to fight it with. We cannot fight heresy if we do not know the truth to fight it with. See, heresy, the, the false understanding of the gospel, false doctrine is a real threat. It was a real threat then in the church and it is a real threat now. But unless we know, unless we can articulate, unless we can understand, unless we have learned the truth, then we are sitting ducks against the wiles of the enemy. In Philippians, if you remember our series in Philippians, Paul talks about when heresy was trying to come in, how he was like a commander coming in to inspect the formation of the Philippian church. And he uses this army sim, uh, symbol, uh, symbols because he, he wants them in lockstep with one another in formation against the attack of the enemy. And the attack of the enemy was the heresy that was trying to come in the church. Paul is constantly combating heresy. And he is combating it with the truth of the gospel. And we cannot understand how to combat heresy unless we can actually understand, we can actually articulate, unless we actually know what is it that we believe? What is it that we have given our life over to? You know, it is an amazing thing to me that we serve God and we, we believe in the God who created the universe. We believe that this God that created the heavens and the earth is, has saved us from all wrath, from an eternity of suffering. He has saved us from our own sin. And we believe that he has given us a word that he says, this is my character. This is who I am. Yet we do not spend time reading it. Do we really believe that God is the creator of heavens and earth who has given us his word if we won't even spend five, ten minutes a day opening the book that he has left for us to know him, to understand him? Heresy has more opportunity today than ever before to drip into our mind and into our heart. Why is that? Because we have things like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TV, news sources. I mean, all of the different ways. Every single day, my feed is inundated with people putting their quotes, talking about Christians, pastors, people. And half the quotes, half the things I see are garbage. 
not scriptural, not scriptural, out of context, doesn't belong here, not actually what we believe. Yet over and over and over again, we as a Christian are consuming these things. We are consuming them like they are the truth of God's word. And it is because we do not know the truth to compare it to. And so Paul is laying down this foundation of who is Jesus? What is the hope of the gospel that you have given yourself to? So that when he brings in what the heresy that is trying to come in, that he can compare it and say, look, this is not what we gave ourselves over to. But today's day and age, we don't care about heresy. In fact, we are unbothered by heresy. And the reason why we are unbothered by it is because we can't even differentiate what is the truth and what isn't. If it sounds good, sounds like something I would like, if it uses a verse, do you know that the devil used scripture to tempt Jesus? James says that the enemy knows and believes in Jesus and even shudders. Let me tell you, understanding and knowing the truth is important. And that is what Paul is trying to drive home in the beginning of this. We have to not only be concerned about heresy, but we have to actually actively combat it because it is constantly trying to warp our understanding of scripture. It is constantly trying to wage war against the church, trying to come in and bring division, trying to come in and take our eyes off of Jesus and put it in all the other things that the world offers. And the only way we will actually be able to combat it and not just be concerned about it is to do our homework, church. Have we grown in the knowledge of God? Are we actively growing in understanding him on a regular basis? Can we fully explain the gospel? You know, if somebody were to ask you right now, what is the gospel? What do you believe? How do you know you were saved? Could you give them a clear answer? Do we understand the mystery of the scriptures, which is Christ? What Paul says in Colossians chapter two. Somebody was to ask what that even meant. Would we have a ready response for them? As it says in Peter that we should have for anybody that asks us about our faith. Because I can tell you, if you cannot answer some of these basic questions, these foundational questions about what you believe, the likelihood that you have allowed yourself and given yourself over to heresy into your heart and has permeated your theology is actually very high. Because the amount of intake that we have on all the different communication waves and the different places that we consume our media and understanding and our content, much of that that we consume is waging war against the truth and it comes in beautiful packages neatly given to us in nice designs on shared stories telling us that no, yeah, this is, this is God. And we don't know any better because we've never actually sat down to do our homework and understand who is God? What does it mean to 
be fully assured in our understanding and our knowledge of him, to be confident in what we believe, to actually know what it means to be saved by him, to understand the mystery of Jesus Christ that was revealed to us in the new covenant that is constantly explained in passage after passage in the epistles. Paul is so concerned because when you begin to give yourself over to something that is not the gospel, then what will happen is you will bear the wrong fruit. And that's what started to happen in the Colossian church. They started to bear the wrong fruit. You know, if, if you are spending time not with Jesus, then you are not gonna bear the fruit of Jesus in your life. You know, the, probably the, the single biggest complaint I hear uh, from counseling people is why haven't I changed or why do I still, still deal with this? And there's, that's a very complicated question, many times with a very complicated answers for each individual person. But there are many times where you can boil it down to this. The fruit of your life is a reaping of what you have sowed. See that in Galatians, that if we sow to the flesh, what are we going to reap? We are going to reap the flesh, the desires, the actions of the flesh. But if we sow to the spirit, what are we going to reap? We are going to reap the fruit of the spirit. So part of the heresy that oftentimes we've given ourselves over to is this understanding that I don't need to know about God. That's the pastor's job. I don't really need to dive into scripture. I mean, I know enough, right? I, I believe and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. There's no reason to know beyond that. I say my prayers at dinner, maybe a second before I go to sleep, but does any craftsman look at their craft and say, well, I wanna reap being in a master of my craft and I will spend five seconds before I go to sleep every night with it. Well, you will never become a master of your craft. As the people of God, we are called to understand him, to understand his will, to understand his word, to demystify the mystery of Christ and understand who is our savior and what has he done in our life. Because when we aren't spending time with Jesus and we begin to give ourselves over to these different heretical understandings and we think like, hmm, that's good, yeah, I like that. I, I saw that quote, yeah, I really like this. Let me share it with some friends. This, this feels good. What happens is the fruit of that heresy, the fruit of that word, is going to bear fruit in our life. And you better make sure that the fruit that you are bearing is the fruit of Jesus, is the fruit of the Spirit, rather than the fruit of all the world. And we are often complaining about how we are feeling, what we are sensing, the things that are going on in our heart, in our mind. And really, it comes down to is we have given ourselves over to the heresy that has borne bad 
bad fruit in our heart and in our mind and is constantly reproducing itself over and over and over again because we have not decided to do our homework, to actually learn the truth. As John says, to to learn the truth, then to abide in that truth. And when we abide in that truth, that truth then sets us free to walk in freedom from the desires of the flesh, to walk in freedom from our old ways, to crucify our old life. The Bible says it a million different ways. Yet today we are more concerned about the doctrine of the quick fix and the overnight delivery and the immediate I want it now rather than the hard work of actually sitting on and meditating on the mysteries of God and learning the truth of his gospel that is seen from the first page to the last that it all speaks of a unified story of Jesus Christ and the redemption of humankind to once again be in communion with God. That should excite you. When you read the scriptures, it should give you life. It should be the thing that you can't go to sleep without diving into. But we have pawned that off to other people's jobs. We have taken YouTube and Instagram and this person's sermon and that person's to say like, That's good enough for me. If they say it, well, it must be true. See, I don't want you to take what I say at face value. I would love for you to search the scriptures on your own. That's why we preach the way that we do verse by verse is because we want you to understand the richness and the beauty of God's word and hopefully spark something in your heart to say, I want to know the depth, the riches of God's glory. And I can only find that by searching him out. I used to pray on a regular basis, God, I want to know you. Until one day, God clearly spoke to me and said, Justin, if you want to know me, open up my word and read it. I was obsessed with knowing God, but I wouldn't read the biography that he gave. The Colossians really thought they were becoming mature in the faith, and that's the scary part. They really thought by adhering to the Torah laws and and to the feast that this was going to be the pinnacle of their salvation. The people that came in and taught, they were starting to get this, this heresy rooted into the church, but Paul comes in and rips that apart. He says, true maturity is not an earthly mindset. It's not when you dwell on earthly things, but it's heavenly things. It's not about what we can do on our own flesh and our own strength and our own might, but it's about what God has done for us and living in that and bearing the fruit of that in our life. He says, this is real maturity. It's not knowing how to blow a shofar at the right moment in a service, but real maturity is this, can you forgive people even if they haven't said sorry to you? Can you? That's a real question. That is a sign of maturity in the believer. How do you react when you're angry? Do you cut people off? Do you cancel them? Do you ghost them? 
Or do you confront in love and in gentleness? This is the fruit of the gospel. Are you patient with people? Are you patient with them when you're bearing their learning curves and imperfections? How do you react when someone messes up? Does peace rule over your heart? These are the, the, the standards, the real maturity that Paul gets at that we've been talking about about the last two months of what does a true mature believer look like? It's not all these crazy rituals. It is not all of these things that we want to give ourselves over to. It's the real practical fruit of the Spirit that the Bible says against these things, against the law of love, there is no law. If you follow this, there is no nation at any time that will make it illegal to be forgiving and caring and loving. This is true maturity. And sometimes we want it to be so mystical. We want to be able to feel better about ourselves in other ways, and we don't want to do the hard work of abiding with God and bearing good fruit. We don't want to forgive that person. We don't want to be patient with people that are impatient with us. And so instead, we figure out other easier ways. But we need to be reminded does peace rule over your heart? Does the word of God dwell in you richly? Or is it the content of Netflix and Instagram that dwells in you richly? How do you treat people in your own home? We spent three weeks on that. Your roommate, your spouse, your coworker, your child, your parent. How do you treat them? That will speak more about your maturity in Christ than anything else will. See, we cannot evaluate maturity by any other template or standard than the one that the Word of God gives us. And it's often very hard not to come up with our own templates and our own standards. You know, we read a book or we see something on Instagram or we, we watch this sermon and they tell us, you know, if you anoint your, your house with oil this many times, if you say this prayer 30 times, if, if you make sure that you do this ritual this way, if you do it like that, then, then you will be mature. But God is so much less interested in the formulas and more interested in the fruit. What? does that bring you? And Paul says that what happens when we give ourselves over to these heresies that we really, we reap the flesh. We reap the things of the world. And they lead us down that path. And that's why he is constantly getting on. What do we believe? What is the truth of the gospel? Success and maturity in the kingdom of God, it is not wealth, it is not health, it is not freedom from work, it is not happiness. 
If you find yourself with these unholy passions, coveting everything that you see on TV or Instagram, with lust ruling over your heart, desiring with your eyes everything that you see, with bitterness consuming you constantly, that means that you are bearing the fruit of an unholy gospel. You are bearing the fruit of heresy. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how good you think that preacher is or that book is. The fruit of your life will speak to the gospel that you believe. Is it the gospel of self-actualization? Is it the gospel of prosperity and success? Is it the gospel of rituals? Is it the gospel of me as God and Lord? Is it the gospel of this world? Or is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Paul elegantly lays out the maturity of, of, of the true gospel, the true fruit that we bear is clear in our lives. Do you love people? Do you care for them? Have you learned to love in only a way that God can teach you? Have you truly cared for somebody when it would inconvenience you more than you want to be inconvenienced? Have you truly come to a place where your desires have died? Your own wants, your own things, have they been crucified with Christ, buried? And has the new life with the new fruit been resurrected from it? Has joy been residing in your heart? Have you been content? And you may think all of these questions, Justin, these are too hard. It's too much to think about at one time. Like, how am I supposed to love people, be content, be joyous, and all these other things in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of the hardship that I'm having at home, in the midst of my hardship at work? And that is just the thing that all the other gospels will tell us how to get there on our own. And when we give in to heresy, it's a long journey and a hard burden. But the gospel of Jesus says, just come to me. Just be with me. Just love me. Just have faith in me. And out of that, you will bear the fruit of all these things. These are not actually things that we have to constantly try our hardest with. These are things that when we spend time with God, we just become more like him. When we meditate on the word and when it richly dwells in us, the things that we put in will begin to start to come out. It is not a burden. It's not hard. It's a natural byproduct of the true, beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the elements of works that comes alongside with our faith, that interlock together, that show us that we are God's people. It is the beauty of what Jesus does in our heart when we come to know him. This is the point of Paul's letter. 
This is the fruit of the gospel. That we must know the truth in order to compare it to what is false. And in order to do that, we have to do our homework. To be with God, to love God, to meditate on God, that he would be our first love, our best friend. Have you spent time with God? And I mean time. Like new show on Netflix, binge over the weekend time with God. Have you spent that time with him? Time to learn about him, time to appreciate him, time to love him and come to that place of full assurance of him, that full confidence that you can boldly go to him before his throne room. Is the fruit of the gospel becoming more and more evident in your life? It won't happen overnight. It's not a quick fix. It takes time. The word scripture uses abiding. It's like the, the vine, it's, it's roots. It's like the tree in Psalm 1 that was planted by rivers of living water. Like meditating, that, that is what meditating day and night. It is, it is growing deep into the ground, high into the air. It is something that is years and years of time. But you begin to see change. You begin to see your desires change. You begin to see your heart change. You begin to see your actions change. You begin to see the things that were so deadly about your personality in the past now begin to shift around where the fruit of God comes out. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his not getting your own way in arguments, his love for others truly begun, begins to come out. See, this is so important that I felt like our next series really needed to walk through. How do we do this as a church? How do we do this in our personal life? How do we do this corporately? It is so important that it, it's, it's, it's beyond the time that we keep talking about it and it's now time that we start to do it. What are the practices in my life? What did, it, what did Jesus do? Jesus did what he did because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. What did Jesus do? And if we look at Jesus's life, who we are supposed to be image bearers of, to reflect his life, Melvin talked about this, that he is the one that we look to. We can actually have a representative of what Jesus is and what he has done. We can look at his life. And so we're going to do that. We're gonna look at a series and look at the lifestyle of Jesus. What were the practices that Jesus had? What were the actual practical, tangible things that he had to commune, to be close, to know God? This is commonly called the spiritual disciplines we're gonna call it the way of Jesus just to make it simpler, understanding the reasons why we're going to talk about these things. Because we can talk about our faith, you can hear me preach till I'm blue in the face. But unless you are actually going home and walking this out, it is meaningless. 
Unless you are spending time with God, it doesn't matter how many good sermons you have listened to, it doesn't matter how many times you have been to church uh, on a Sunday, it doesn't matter what you are doing. This is the thing that counts, is to actually grow in your faith in God. But I have a little surprise for you before we get to that series that I'm really excited about because I think before we can get there, there's actually some things that we need to talk about that I think have been uh, some ways that we have escaped the disciplines, some ways that we have escaped the hard work of abiding, some ways that we have walked away from these and, and, and have been able to uh, kind of been okay with that in our head, made, made excuses for and and allowances for in our lifestyle and the way that we live. So I'm, we're gonna have, uh, well, I'm gonna have fun the next two weeks. I think everybody else will as well as we dive into how do we walk this out together as a people? How do we walk this out in our lives? Paul calls it being filled with the spirit daily to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Today, many people call it the way of Jesus. In fact, that was the, the first thing that it was called. If you read Acts, they call it the way because this was a way of life. It was a, it was a way of practicing and looking at the world like never before. And it absolutely, absolutely changed you. And baptism was the symbol of that change. To say that my old self has been buried with Jesus and my new self is now risen with him that eternal life is not some far off thing, but it starts the moment that my new life has begun with Jesus here and now. And how can we walk in this way that Jesus left for his disciples and completely change the face of the world as we know it? Pray with me. Father, I pray that we would be a people that don't just talk about it, but that we would be a people that do it that Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would fill every single room, that you would fill every single space, that you would come convict us of the ways that we have been lax about the truth. Lord, and draw us close to you right now. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us faith that would take us beyond learning into practicing. That our desire to know you would finally outweigh our desire to watch that show, to hang out with that friend, to do more work, or to sit and sulk in our lives. That our desire for you would supersede everything else that we would be a church that doesn't live on secondhand knowledge and regurgitated information, but that we would be a church that thrives off the knowledge and understanding of God, that the word of God would dwell richly in us and that the fruit that we bear would speak for itself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.